huge fan of, of, of side projects and side hustles, so to speak, mm. you know, before you decide to, to change your life and quit your job or, or, you know, take money out of your 401k, like try to get one customer, you know, mm. try to, try to just do one thing, try to, try to validate the idea in, in, in a number of different ways before, before you decide to, you know, kind of bet the, bet the farm on things. So. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that has uh, grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the uh, founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help uh, startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And today we have another great guest on the podcast, Jeremy Hurst. And uh, Jeremy, this is a way of a bit of an introduction. So he was he's, did his undergraduate at NYU studying marketing and uh, came out of school and wasn't sure what he wanted to do. He did know that he didn't want to work at a desk every day. So he decided, <laughs> hey, I'll go into sales. And so I'm not just at my desk every day. So I went and worked for uh, AT&T for a period of time doing some of their corporate sales. Um, had a at the same time he had a lot of friends in early stage startups who so went or left a and and t did a couple different startups along the way that he'll dive into a bit more in his experiences there and then after doing those um, he decided to jump into uh, what started out as a side hustle and then moved over to a full time which is where he's at today and with that much as an introduction, welcome to the podcast jeremy thanks so much I appreciate it. So I gave a real brief run through of your history, but let's uh, back up, go back to your days at NYU and uh, the heydays of undergraduate and start us there and kind of let us know how, or, or tell or tell us a bit about your journey. Yeah, it sounds good. Well, you know, I, I feel aged at this point, you know, graduating back in, in 2011. Um, you know, I, I kind of think about my, my four years as an undergrad as, uh, as my lost four years a little bit. Mm. Um, you know, in my transition from high school to college, I think I went from being a big fish in a small pond to mm. being a tiny fish in the ocean of New York City, so to speak. So, you know, I, I had played sports all throughout my life. It was a really big part of my life. And I got to school and didn't make the basketball team. So that was, uh, you know, a big piece of my identity that I, I think kind of fell away. And I wasn't quite sure how to, to respond to that. Um, I had been a very strong student uh, at, a, at a small school and you get to a school like NYU and everybody is a strong student. It's a lot of the best mm. students from, from all over the globe. Um, you know, additionally, you know, I, that private school that I went to, I did the same private school for elementary, middle and high school. So these are class sizes around 50 people or so. So you, you know everybody there. And mm. uh, I built up quite a bit of a, a reputation during that time. And then of course you get to NYU and, and no one knows who you are. So I guess the long story short of that is I didn't take that you know experience as seriously uh, as I could have. I spent a lot of time partying, drinking, uh, doing some other things that, that young people do. And, uh, you know, I got to the end of that experience and said, mm. huh, like, I have no idea what I want to do. And, you know, basically my solution to that was mm. apply to all of the biggest, most reputable companies that, that you can think of and, and, and see what sticks. And as you mm. mentioned, uh, that, that B2B sales role at, at AT&T was the, the first kind of enticing offer that, that came across the desk. And uh, I, I jumped at that opportunity. Mm. 
So now so you, you say, okay, I'm coming out. I'm not sure what I want to do. So we'll kind of shotgun it, right? We'll apply to a whole bunch of good places, see which one I'll do it. Hey, at least they'll pay me well. And we'll see what, or kind of figure it out from there. So you, you know, you shotgun it. And it sounds like if I understand, right, then that's where AT&T came in. And he said, Hey, this is a good opportunity. AT&T certainly well-recognized company. So you went and worked from there. So how was your experience at AT&T? Was it everything you dreamed of and you loved it? And you never wanted to leave or you hated it every day, but you loved <laughs> the paycheck or somewhere in the middle i would say somewhere in the middle i think you know every every situation has has two sides of a, of a coin so to speak so you know on the one hand i look back at that experience as as an incredible time in my life because being such a big uh, kind of storied company that it is it has a very rigorous training program so I am extremely fortunate and grateful to have, to have gone through that, that experience. It was kind of a six-month intensive program. So I moved from New York down to Atlanta, where they have one of their corporate headquarters. And I think the, the big thing that I took away from that was, you know, I, I really learned kind of the foundations of the telecommunications industry how that you know eventually led to the internet uh, and how a lot of the underlying technology works both from kind of a hardware and a, a software perspective and you know I, I think i learned more during that six months that would actually be relevant for my life and the future than i than i learned for the entire four years of school so i was incredibly um grateful and appreciative for 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 that aspect of it um, additionally, the, the foundation of, of, of training as a, as a salesperson, whether it's just, you know, presentation skills, I, I participated in, in Toastmasters, uh, which is kind of a, um, a professional kind of public speaking organization. But, you know, all of those things were, were, were fantastic things. You know, and, and I'd almost echo that. I mean, in the sense that you're saying, hey, this was, I learned more in the six months, you know, or the few months that I was training than I did in all of school. And I, I you know, I kind of feel the same way. So, I ended up getting four degrees, which my wife always says is three degrees too many, but a couple of them were, <laughs> and one of them was an MBA degree with Masters of Business Administration. And it was a good, deg- I would say about half of it was a good degree. Half of it, I sit in the classes and think these are so fluffy. There's no practical application. And while it's great for the professor to tell us what they think, there's, I'm never going to use it. And I think, I'm, I still think I'm right. I don't think that those are applicable. The other half was, you know, w- reasonably worthwhile. But then, you know, if you get into a business or a startup, you know, there are so many things that they never teach you. As an example, they never teach you how to balance books, how to do your actual accounting, not just uh, exactly. how do you add numbers, but how do you do it? How do you do hiring and firing? How do you juggle multiple hats and do marketing and sales and product development and employees, you know, all of those things. And until you really just at one point get into it, you're never going to figure that out. So I, I tend to echo that I, I think there's a place for education, but there's also a much bigger place for or learning it, you know, getting on the ground, actually doing it and getting in a good training environment that can have uh, even a, a better education in that sense. Precisely, precisely. I mean, and I think that maybe one thing that I would just add to that and, and specifically if for people that are in the, the, the space of technology, you know, if you think about a four-year undergraduate degree, so much changes during that four years. So for example, mm-hmm. uh, you know, majoring in marketing and consumer behavior you know, I was reading about, you know, what people were doing from an advertising perspective, you know, when CPG companies were, were you know, building their, their claim to fame, right? Like, mm. it's, it's kind of wild to think about. None of my courses were digital marketing courses. Mm. That's, that's wild from 2007 to 2011. How, like Google was founded in 99. Facebook was founded in 2004. Like, how are these, 
how is a, a marketing degree from in, from 2007 to 2011 does not include digital marketing is is, is beyond me. But we we digress. But to your point, there's a there's a place for for education. But uh, specifically in the world of, of fast moving technology, you, you learn far more by by doing than than listening to to other people talk about it. Yeah. So so now with that in mind, let's keep on your journey. So you went and got went and worked went and worked for AT and T for a period of time. Got some good training. Got some good skill sets. And then what made you decide to leave them or to kind of transition to what was the later stage startup that you jumped over to? Yeah, I think the big thing was there was a lack of what I'll call vibrancy, so to mm. speak. And in that, I mean, telecoms is. Uh, a very slow moving and regulated industry with, with tons of red tape, right? So you don't get a ton of you know, rapid iteration or, or renovation from a product perspective. You know, all of the carriers basically sell the exact same suite of solutions. So there's not much differentiation. Um, so I think, you know, as a result of that, a lot of the people that were around me were people that had been at AT&T for 10 years, 15 years, sometimes in the same role for five years. Um, you know, not to mention being at a different life stage. Most people were, were much older than I was. Mm. Um, so just the, the, the vibrancy and, and culture wasn't quite right for, for mm. where I was in, in my life at that point. So, you know, being in New York, the, the two industries that, that really kind of lead the charge in New York are, are finance and, and media. And, you know, when I was in school, you know, I had kind of decided finance thing wasn't, wasn't for me. I went a marketing direction. So, you know, when I started to think about where I wanted to go from AT&T, I was like, huh, there's this entire media industry here. That's very vibrant. If I think about that from the lens of technology, there are hundreds of marketing and advertising technology companies that are, you know, raising 10, 20, 30, $50 million, uh, mm. growing revenues, 150% year over year. Like, I have some knowledge in this space and sales is a pretty transferable skill set. So I felt like I could move into the world of, of marketing and advertising technology fairly, fairly easily. Mm. So I basically, you know, you can go to, you know, Crunchbase or Glassdoor or any of these places and just look for, you know, top 50 fastest growing marketing technology companies, advertising technology companies, um, and just made a list and, and, and started interviewing. And I ended up at a company called AdRoll and Avril was, like you said, a later stage startup, about mm. 700 folks or so uh, had just raised a big $50 million Series C, and they pioneered what's called retargeting technology. So say you go to the Nike website, and then you see mm. those same shoes on Facebook, and they follow you around everywhere else on the web. That's, that's, that's retargeting technology. Mm. And so you're, you're the one that I always curse that I go and look at one set website that I really don't care about much. And then I see the ads for the next month or two that I really don't care about, but it follows me all over the internet. That was that company. Precisely. Precisely. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because, you know, as annoying as it is, uh, it actually works incredibly well. Right. And, I mean, for, for very logical reasons, right. If you were looking at sure. these, this product a bunch of different times and, I remind you on your Facebook feed, like it makes sense that you would buy that more likely than seeing a random ad for something that you've never looked at before. So it's actually you know, one of the highest performing marketing channels or, or marketing tactics, so to speak, for, for pretty obvious reasons. Um, so Adderall had pioneered that technology, uh, mm. but they kind of 
failed to have a next act, so to speak. So they, mm. they scaled to 700 people really, really quickly. But by the time that I got to Avril in 2014, the tech was already fairly commoditized and tons of competitors were, were starting to pop up. And mm. what Avril kind of did in response to that, when I think the management team had realized that they grew too quickly, you know, some startups might just lay off a bunch of mm. people. Uh, Avril did something a little bit different. They said, well, and I don't know if this is exactly what was, what, what was being said, but what it appeared to be was, well, people will just start to leave as the growth slows. Mm. And that's exactly what happened. People in droves started to leave the company and not just like underperformers, like really, really good people were leaving the company because of this kind of toxic transformation that was happening. And, you know, for me, after just about a year, uh, it kind of sucked the life out of it, sucked the, the heart and the vibrancy out of the culture with so many people that are just walking out of the door, people that were doing really well and, and, and had previously held the company in a, a really high esteem. So mm. uh, just luck of the draw, I got an email from a, or a company called Datarama. And so I guess maybe the before thing, we jump in, so maybe walk me through just a little bit. So you work in an AT&T, certainly a huge company and, you know, certainly has a you know, lot of money, a lot of notoriety. Everybody knows who AT&T is. And then you go to AdRoll and, you know, I've heard of AdRoll even before we talked and it was, you know, certainly a company that I've looked, you know, I do, I did, I know what retargeting is. We use it as well. Even though sometimes I hate it, it still is an absolutely good tool. But, you know, how was it, first of all, going from AT&T to AdRoll, which was a late stage startup, um, you know, was there, was it worthwhile? Was it, you know, what was the difference in feel or, you know, how did you enjoy that? And I know it kind of wound down as they did the one stage pony and that's where you jumped to the next one, but you know, how was that kind of those transitions as, as you went along? Yeah. I mean, the, the transition itself was, was fairly easy. And that's, I mean, I think one thing Admiral did really, really well was mm. onboard new employees, um, the culture and camaraderie in the office, like the, the transition itself was 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 fairly easy and and having been um, trained and developed at like such a structured program, um, you know you can kind of step into any sales role and you understand kind of what you have to do right. You build a 30, 60, 90 plan. You build a prospecting plan. You go. You start. You start reaching out. You set up meetings. You build a sales pipeline. You know once you do one sales job well, you can kind of step in and apply that to to, to really selling anything because. Ultimately, what is what is sales besides you know understanding the need of a of a customer, kind of listening with empathy and being able to to, to address those needs with a solution, right? So, the the transition itself was was fairly easy. The people at Avril were were amazing, so that that made it uh, all that much easier. Um, the the big difference, I would say, you know, having learned you know the foundations of of, of telecom and then kind of the internet. You know, Admiral, like the the realm of marketing and advertising technology was was pretty new. Mm. And in response to that, I had to do a lot of self-education, so to speak. Mm. Um, and it, it kind of goes back to what we were speaking a little bit about before with with kind of the, the traditional education system. Like when you go through school, it's study this, study that, memorize this, take this test. But in the world, you mean that's not how the real world is. <laughs> you don't just take, you don't just memorize a whole bunch of things and take tests and they pay lots of money. Not at all how it works. You jump into this job and it's like, if you want to succeed, you need to self-educate incredibly quickly. And yeah, the, mm. the company has 
you know, a ton of resources and, you know, the internal wiki and all of these things. But, you know, for me, it was like, all right, you know, what meetups can I go to? What, what other people do I know in the industry? Let me just start getting, you know, I would plan, you know, three to five coffees a day with people that had been in the space for a long time. Like you just have to just dive into it and, and, and kind of get fully engaged in the process. So that, that process of, of, of self-education uh, was, was, was probably the biggest part of the transition from a, from a, from a learning curve perspective, mm. just like, how do I, uh, tool myself with the with the skills and, and, and necessary resources to, to to be successful in this role. No, and I think that makes that makes perfect sense, and certainly uh, worked out well for you. So now let's say, okay, so you went from AT and T, went to the late stage ad roll startup, then you went to the early stage startup, which you know maybe give us a little bit more kind of on that transition and where that took you. Yeah. So as I was starting to think about leaving ad roll. The thing that really stood out to me about that experience was, like, okay, culture was spot on, amazing people, amazing atmosphere. Um, the thing that became very, very apparent was that the most important thing at a technology company is the product. That's mm. just, okay, what, what's the first thing, but like, what is the vision and where, do, where does it go from there? Mm. Um, you know, the, the retargeting tech, you know, now is, is it, it was, it, it's very, very commoditized by the time 2015 came around, like mm. regardless of what advertising agency or advertising company you were working with, chances are there's like a box that you can check to just turn on retargeting because it's, I mean, from a technical perspective, it's literally you put one line of code on the website and then you can just pixel the browser and it, it's very, very trivial to, to, to mm. be able to do that. So the, the big thing that, that I was thinking about for the next thing was like, okay, I need to go to a company where like the product and the technology is absolutely game-changing and absolutely differentiated. Mm. And when this recruiter reached out to me for, for Datarama, you know, I was like, oh, I can't hurt to go talk to the, the management team. Uh, I went to, to talk with the management team. And, and, and one of the things that a friend of mine told me, which was maybe one of the best pieces of advice um, that I've ever gotten was when you go to an interview, ask them to give you a demo of the product. I don't know why that never occurred to me. Um, but, you know, he was really the first person that said to me, like, if you're going to like a career is, is hopefully kind of a long term bet. So you should be interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. Mm. And I was like, wow. So now when I talk to, to, to younger people or people that are getting started and thinking about moving into the world of startups, I always tell them make sure you see the product, like ask to see the product. Cause a lot of companies will take you through an interview process and never show you the product. And they will tell you it's amazing. And they'll show you the logos on their website and they'll talk about the money that they've raised, mm. but then you get there and it's like smoke and mirrors and you realize it's a lot of, a lot of bubble gum and, and duct tape keeping things together. So I got to the interview and I saw the product and I was completely floored by, by what they were doing. Um, this company called Datarama, basically what they were, helping companies to address was the fact that, you know, in 2015, there's a, an explosion of digital marketing, right? And I'm as a multi-time entrepreneur, I'm sure, sure you know this, but mm. any company that's trying to acquire customers, you do that on Facebook, on Google, on Twitter, on Pinterest, on radio, on TV, on billboards, on mm. infinitum, right? There's, there's, an, there's, an, there's, a, there's a million different channels that you can use to acquire customers. And every single one of those places produces data, mm. right? So as a, as a business owner or a marketer, you need to understand what's working, what's not, how do I optimize these marketing investments to drive the best return? So mm. Datarama basically 
built technology that would automatically plug into all of those different marketing systems, pull all of the data into one place, and then they would automatically build these incredible visualizations to help you understand what marketing uh, efforts were, were the most effective for your business. And that was completely, completely revolutionary. And then the timing was perfect as well. Like, you know, 2015, like you know, if you look at 2015 and now, like the last five years, you know, how much has been added to Google and Facebook's market cap? How much has been added to Snaps and Pinterest's market cap? Like these companies have gone from, you know, small startups that were worth maybe $50 million to, you know, Google's 1.1 trillion, Facebook, 800 billion, the trade desk, $30 billion company. My wife works at Pinterest, $50 billion company. Like it's, it's incredible, incredible growth and it's continuing to, to grow now. So they solved an incredible problem. They did it right at the right time with an amazing product and engineering team. Um, so I was super lucky to just hit it right place, um, joined at, at 40 people. And, you know, when I left earlier this year in February, we were 650 people and had been acquired um, by Salesforce to be uh, kind of the, the technology marketing analytics uh, solutions over there. So it was a, an amazing journey. And all the things that I learned, all the people that I met was just completely kind of transformational for, for my experience. So now one question on that. So, you know, you're joined the right, right place, the right time kind of a thing, a, a company that just takes off like a rocket ship, makes a huge impact, you know, splash and, you know, has lots of employees. What made you decide to, to leave? And I think, you know, when we talked a little bit before, you said, hey, you know, they took off so well that they got acquired by, I think it was Salesforce. And you said kind of as that acquisition happened, you know, culture change, it wasn't quite the same thing. It wasn't as fun. Was that kind of the motivation for or jumping over and doing kind of what you were doing as a side hustle and onto a full time or kind of what motivated that jump from what was a rocket ship company to your own thing? No, so I, I wouldn't say that that's what motivated it because what you just described is a, is a little bit of an inevitability, right? Mm. When, any, when any company acquires a different company, mm. slowly at first and then more quickly over time, things start to change because, you know, when, you, when companies get acquired, ultimately you have to kind of adhere to the, the culture that you become a part of, right? So sure. part of that is just, inevitable and it's just what happens after companies get acquired. Um, mm. Yes, what we had at Datarama was, 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 was almost a family, you know, at that point when you're, when you're, you know, you spend five years starting from, you know, when I, when I started, we were 15 people in, in, a, in a small office. There was a, a few offices across the globe. The, the New York office was about 15 people. So, you know, just going through the experiences of, of people having children, of people going through divorces, of you know the the, the mm. near death experiences that you go like all like we were we were just a family, right? And it is sad when that starts to change after after an acquisition, mm. but that's not what motivated it. I, I think when I initially made the transition from AT and T to Adroll. I had really never been aware of the world of startups at all. So this concept of people are creating businesses from nothing incredibly quickly. And, you know, coming back to the point of, of retargeting is, is fairly trivial, like put a pixel on a site and you just reach, like, you actually don't need to like build a rocket ship to go to Mars, right? You don't need to be Elon Musk to actually build a really valuable company and, and solve a real problem. So when I got to AdRoll is when I would, became aware of the fact that like, wow, you just need 
a good team and an idea and you can execute on something. So I started to kind of think about, well, if I want real financial independence, if I want, you know, what the founders of this company have, if I want to then have a larger scale impact on the world, like mm. I need to create something. So mm. it had been, it has been a kind of a thought that was, that was just festering um, in the back of my mind. And when we got acquired, when, when Datarama got acquired by Salesforce, of course, there's uh, a financial component of, of, of acquisitions, which, which gives you a nice uh, kind of uh, financial foundation to say, okay, like if I did have the right idea now, I have the ability to go, to go be flexible about like how I want to go after that idea. Right. I don't necessarily need to, you know, raise a bunch of money and quit or, or, or this type of thing. Right. Because you, you have some flexibility and some time to kind of think about it. So post acquisition is when I started to accelerate the process of thinking about different ideas that I, that I had been kind of playing with um, in my mind. And it was also at Datarama that I met my now co-founder who is just an amazing human being, right? Just as, as a human, he's an amazing human being as an engineer and a product person, he's an amazing engineer. So when we met, um, we immediately started talking about ideas and, and, and just exchanging emails and things like that. And, and when we hit on something that we felt um, was, was, was viable, we started kind of tinkering on it more as, as a side project. So the thing that really motivated me to, to leave Datarama was one of these side projects had started to build up some momentum and some, some real traction. And I thought that if we were going to take a, a real shot at, at building this into a big company and, and we wanted a real chance at success, uh, it needed my, my full attention. So the, you know, another piece of advice that I got some, from somebody along the way is when you, when you leave a company or when you leave an opportunity, even when you potentially maybe like leave a relationship that, mm you should be running towards something as opposed to running away from something. So, you know, as Datarama, it was an amazing experience. Mm. Yeah. So now you make, you make that jump and you go to your own thing. You decide that, hey, this is where I want to be. This is the impact I want to have. How did it go? Was it a all roses and it was worked out great? Was it been rough and bumpy? Has it been all of the above or how has that gone for you? Well, so I left in February and COVID hit in March. <laughs> so, Perfect timing. <laughs> if, that, if that says anything about, about how those um, initial months went, um, a, a ton of self-doubt, um, mm. a ton of shit that I just make a huge mistake. Uh, was this <laughs> the absolute wrong time to do this? Oh no. Mm. Like, like, so a ton of that, a ton of that. Um, you know, hindsight being 2020 now, I'm actually very, very grateful um, because we actually uh, did a pretty big pivot in, in response to, to COVID. Not, not so much on a pivot of like what we were building or the core technology, but a pivot in terms of our go-to-market strategy and, and, and how, like what customer segments we were, we were going after. Mm. So maybe it would be helpful to, to give some context on kind of what identity is and, and then I can maybe explain that, that pivot a little bit. Um, sure. You know, in, you know, a few minutes ago, when we were talking about Datarama, we talked about how their platform automatically ingested marketing data from all of these different places so that you could kind of simplify the experience of understanding, you know, what marketing is working and what marketing is not. Mm. You know, one thing I noticed during that journey in Datarama is 
in the same way that digital advertising is exploding, you know, you can do it in a million different places. You know, our, our lives on the internet has exploded in, in a, a very similar way and in every facet, right? So if you think about, you know, my, my personal life, you know, if I look at today versus 10 years ago, I have mm. you know, three brokerage accounts, uh, three credit cards, um, you know, 20 different accounts with e-commerce uh, suppliers, you know, everything I do online that, that I didn't do online 10 mm. years ago. Um, same thing at work, right? You go to work and uh, if you're a business owner, your, your CRM is online, your accounting system is online. Your, if you're an e-commerce, your inventory, every, everything that we do is on the internet. Mm. And all of those things, when you sit down at your computer, all of those things have you know, their own websites or their own applications to solve those problems. So you know, I, would, I would have this experience where I would be on my computer and I'm sure you and everyone else can relate to this. You know, by the end of your day, you have 20, 30, maybe 40 different browser tabs open at the same time with all of these different things, your emails, your calendar, like all these different apps that you're using to solve all these different problems. And in addition to the browser, you probably have maybe a messaging app like Slack open. Maybe you have a note-taking app like Evernote open. There's just a million things that are always open on your, on your screen. And for me, I always felt so overwhelmed by all of that. It, it just kind of detracted from my ability to, to, to focus and, and, and be optimally productive. So ultimately one of the ideas that hit me along the way was, is there a way to just kind of simplify and organize this experience in a way that would better facilitate focus and productivity, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, a, I'm a big mindfulness person. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm big on kind of cultivating attention and focus and, and trying to be present and, uh, and, and attentive to whatever it is that I'm focused on and just the, the visual clutter and distraction from, from everything that's happening on um, inside the browser was, was completely overwhelming to me. So that's ultimately what we did when, in, in building identity. We built kind of a, a tool that helps you simplify and organize your entire online experience. And you can basically access everything that you do online from mm -hmm. one screen. So it's a, it's a really kind of powerful transformation. But when, we, when I left in February, when I left Salesforce, the initial plan was to go after the business market, like the SMB market, because, mm. you know, as a small business owner, all of those pieces of, of software that we just talked about, accounting, uh, email, um, customer service, all of those different software applications, I felt like there was a big opportunity to help business owners simplify and organize that experience and, 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 and improve productivity. COVID happens and every small business was in existential crisis mode. Like no one wanted to have a conversation about what new software to buy. The only conversations they were having was, can I make payroll next month, mm. right? Like, am I going to be around six months from now, right. right? Like, where are my children? Do they need to come home and not be in school or wherever the, you know, the, the conversations were not about software evaluations. And so a lot of our business conversations slowed down. In parallel to that, what we saw is the, the users that we had already signed up, all of the apps that they were adding to identity were personal apps. Everybody was signing up for Costco memberships and Target memberships and Amazon memberships and just all of the things that they were forced to do online that they weren't doing online previously. And we realized people were leveraging our technology far more for their personal lives than they were for their business lives. I mean, there's definitely a business use case, but the personal one is just as big, if not bigger. 
So we completely focused, uh, we, we, switched, we switched our focus from, from B2B to a, a B2C uh, model and just signing up individuals that use it for business, personal, and, and, and everything mm. in between. So that was actually a huge moment of uh, defining kind of who we are as a company and, and, and what our go-to-market strategy would be. No, I think that, that's awesome. And it's always good to, to, as you're having to go through things, to, you know, to have the attitude that if things are changing, ground's changing around us, let's figure out how to pivot and adjust as opposed to just uh, hope that, you know, hope the good old days come back, so to speak. Well, we always have more things to talk about than time to talk about, and we're reaching towards the end of the podcast. So I'm going to jump to the two questions I always ask at the end of the podcast. Um, so the first question I always ask is, along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, and I always look at mistakes as, you know, these are the big, biggest learning moments, right? So I, I wouldn't say I, I regret any of these things, but one of the things that maybe would have been wonderful to have not done, um, you know, if you're going to build a technology company, I am a firm believer that having a technical co-founder is mm. absolutely critical to that process. I, I had another project that I tried to start a few years ago and my co-founder could do some mobile development, but we had no one on our team that could do any of the web or backend development. So we outsourced that. And it was a huge problem because, you know, we had a day that we had an outage mm -hmm. and, you know, the developers were in India. So we couldn't get the software back up until 12 hours later. And that lost our customers a ton of revenue. And but can't have that as, as a business. So having a technical person on the team, having, mm. having the core team, being able to tackle all facets of the business, I think is, is critical. So that was a huge, huge learning moment. No, I think that's a good one to learn. And I think that a lot of times you have to have somebody with some of that institutional knowledge, not just as employee, you know, as just an employee or someone, you know, independent contractor, but as, you know, it makes it core if that's what you're building the business around. So now we jump to the second question, which is, so if you're talking to someone that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Yeah. So, you know, I think there's this myth in the technology world that the only way to proceed is to kind of quit and go all in, right? Mm -hmm. There's kind of this idolatry of people like, you know, who drop out of school and just go all in and raise a bunch of money and, and then everything is, is a success after that. But I think in reality, most things start as side projects and tinkering. Um, you know, not necessarily the, the Silicon Valley startups, but most business owners, like the, the first step is to start trying things slowly. So I'm a huge fan of, of, of side projects and side hustles, so to speak, mm. you know, before you decide to, to change your life and quit your job or, or, you know, take money out of your 401k, like try to get one customer, you know, mm. try to, try to just do one thing, try to, try to validate the idea in, in, in a number of different ways before, before you decide to, you know, I'll kind of bet the bet the farm on things so huge huge no, and, I, and i think that's that's good advice i think it's a hard one because you know especially if you get all excited you want to just jump in you think it's going to change the world every entrepreneur that i've ever known thinks their idea is going to change the world and it's going to make them millions or billions of dollars sometimes it's true and sometimes it's not so i think to start out with that side hustle figure out if people are willing to pay for it and if it works is a, a great piece of advice well, as we wrap up, if people want to find out more about your company, be a client, be an investor, be an employee, be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what is the best way to connect up with you? Yeah, so uh, I did a weird 
A-T-I. Uh, we're on all the social platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Twitter uh, on the web, identity.com uh, has all the information. And if uh, folks want to follow me personally, I'm on Twitter, J-H-U-R-S-T-1-2. All right. You, you cut out very shortly for the Twitter. So do you want to repeat that just one more time for everybody? If you want to connect with me personally on Twitter, that's jhurst12, J-H-U-R-S-T-1-2. All right. Well, I certainly encourage everybody to connect up with you, find out more about uh, Jeremy and uh, find out more about the product, find out what they're doing and uh, make sure to connect with them. Well, thank you, Jeremy. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell, make sure to check out uh, or go to inventivejourney.com or sorry, inventivejourneyguest.com. I almost shortened it too quickly there and uh, apply (laughs) to be a guest on the podcast so you can tell your journey and we'd love to share it. If you're a listener, make sure to click subscribe on the podcast so that you can get notifications as all the awesome episodes come out. And last but not least, um, if you uh, ever need help with patents and trademarks, we're always here to help at Miller IP Law. Thank you again, Jeremy, and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Cheers, Devin. Thanks for having me. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode of The Inventive Journey, make sure to go and check out Startups Magazine. They're an awesome uh, magazine and podcast centered over in the UK. And if the magazine is a digital and print magazine where they focus on um, tech startups and entrepreneurs, and they also have a focus on uh, female founders and women in tech. So if you want to check out their magazine, neither digital or print, it's uh, Startups Magazine, Startups with an S, magazine.co.uk. And you can also look at their podcast, which is called The Serial entrepreneur so go check them out they're awesome and definitely if you like this episode you'll like them